You are listening to Love Maine Radio, hosted by Dr. Lisa Belisle and recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a writer and physician who practices family medicine and acupuncture in Brunswick, Maine. Show summaries are available at lovemainradio.com. Here are some highlights from this week's program. I asked for permission to attend the Glasgow School of Art when we were in Glasgow. I was in a, a, a battalion of longshoremen, stevedores. We handled all the cargo that backs up an army. And that was how, in the invasion, we were on the beach of Normandy, and there was this flotilla of cargo ships, and they had developed the amphibious duck, which was a boat in the water, a truck on land, so they could use a beach as a port, whereas the enemy had controlled Le Havre and um, Marseille. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 292. The Art of Ashley Bryan, airing for the first time on Sunday, April 23, 2017. Artist Ashley Bryan has been creating unique works since his earliest days growing up in the Bronx. Known for his award-winning children's books like Beautiful Blackbird and Freedom Over Me, Ashley Bryan has connected with audience of all ages. For this special show, we travel to Little Cranberry Island off the coast of Mount Desert Island interview this 93-year-old artist in his own home. Thank you for joining us. Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by Berlin City Honda, where the car buying experience is all about easy. After all, life is complicated enough and buying a car shouldn't be. That's why the Berlin City Honda team goes the extra mile by pre-discounting all their vehicles and focus their efforts on being open, honest, and all about getting you on the road. In fact, Berlin City recently won the 2015 Women's Choice Award, a strong testimony to their ability to deliver a different kind of car buying experience. Berlin City Honda of Portland. Easy. It's how buying a car should be. Go to BerlinCityHondaMe.com for more information. Love, Maine Radio is also brought to you by Aristel, a lingerie boutique on Exchange Street in Portland's Old Port, where everybody is seen as a work of art and beauty is celebrated from the inside out. Shop with us in person or online at aristel.com. It is my great pleasure to be today on Little Cranberry Island, um, right off the coast of Maine. This is something that we don't get to do very often, but we've made a special trip out here to spend time with Ashley Bryan, who is a really um, world-renowned artist. And... um, Someone who's pretty special. We've heard a lot about you, Ashley. We're really lucky to be here. Good, good you could visit. You have this this house that is, it's filled with wonderful yes. things you've collected over time. Yes. Well, it's just my response to the ingenuity and the creativity of people throughout the world. It doesn't matter what the material, if it's something I respond to, I bring it home and I put it up where I can enjoy it. So where, where are some of the places that you've traveled, that you've picked some of these things well, up? Well, the European countries of France, Germany, Spain, Italy, traveled there, and then um, further in Java and um, in other countries as well, in South America, mainly traveled, though, in Africa, in Kenya, and in... Um, um, South Africa, doing work with um, a program that um, builds schools for children and brings books and supplies. 
a foundation, Children Literature for Children, out of um, Atlanta that has done enormous work with the schools in Kenya. Yes, through Mount Kenya Academy, a wonderful private school that a black woman directs. And you're wearing something that is from There's one of the vests that was made for me by the Copenhagen Embroiderers. But they do in very beautiful work that's practical, bags and um, pot holders and um, simple wall hangings. How did you get involved with their organization? Well, I met the director, a, a Dominican sister, Sister Sheila Flynn, and she was such a wonderful person. This one I never let anyone get. I've always held on to that elephant. I loved it. So you have an embroidered elephant. These are one of their bags. You see that? And we have these lovely blue and black bags. But you can see how bags. beautiful the designs are. And these are some small forms. I gave Jasmine one of the angels and said she was an angel. Jasmine is an angel. She's also a farmer here and on the island. And handy purses for you. Do these get sold? And are these things that the women are creating to be sold? Yes, they're all, I always bring a lot and I sell them. And then I send them, I'm always contributing so they can keep on going. So all of these are for sale. Let's see, they're such modest prices generally when you consider the artistry of the work. And they're beautiful colors. Colors are very important Yes, they're color-centered. Often they have a picture of the person and then they... So tell me about the idea of creating something. You, you have... Well, it's, it's essential, the desire to create. And anything you can do that can stimulate the imagination of another from what you do to do something of his or own is the most exciting thing you can do as an artist. Inspire others to something of their own, not something they bought, but something that they themselves have created. A birthday comes up, rather than buying a card, they draw the card themselves, or they make something to give, or there's a song they'll sing as a present, or a poem they love. Anything but something out of yourself. Anything that you can do that can inspire people to tap that source in yourself is the most exciting thing you have to offer. What is that source? What is that source? That comes from just the essential desire in life. The whole mystery of being is creation, how it came about, how all of this comes about. And because of that, artists have always wanted to recreate in that inspiration of what creation has given us, the desire to, to follow that inspiration, that source. Yeah, that mystery and wonder of the morning, you don't take it for granted. Look, the light has come into the day. You celebrate it, it's a tremendous gift. I like the remark of a man who had been in um, solitary confinement in prison for over 30 years. He came out and he was with a group of people, it started to rain. And they got all excited and he said, what are you getting excited for? It's rain, it's the gift of God. You know, he had been indoors, closed in. The rain coming down was him a gift of God. So I love that story of how excited and happy he was. They were running to find a place to shelter themselves, to close themselves in. But, no. So there is something important about being open. Yes, yes. But I think that spirit of wanting to open up for others 
something of that essential joy in life because there's so much that beats us down, that makes us feel unhappy or unresponsive. But anything that gives us that tap, that energy of what creation means, the excitement of things that come about, and never to lose that. When this small group of people decided they'd create an Ashley Bryan Center, they said they want to do an exhibit to let people know. So they asked me to do certain things. But the one of the important words for me on it was on one of the columns that says, um, one of the most tragic experiences in life is the death of a child. So never let the child within you die. So that's it. <laughs> but children are very important to you. You've been doing children's books for years now. Yes, well, getting to children is vital. Children need encouragement and support. Everyone does. But it's very important that you encourage the child. And so I like any outreach that will engage me with them. I just, when I came back, they had some letters. There were these crazy letters from children. They all tried their own drawings and things and said how much they loved my work, you know. But it's that engaging of the child that is important to me. What about when you were a child, when you were growing up in the Bronx? Yes, always well, encouraged in art. All of my teachers from elementary, junior, and high school, all white teachers, all encouraged me, gave me material with depression years. They only wanted to advance my love of art. I never forgotten that. And it was those teachers that made it possible for me to go on. Because when I graduated, my portfolio was not accepted when they saw me. But they told me about a program where they don't see you when you take the exam, the Cooper Union. And so that was how I was able to go further through that scholarship, because it was free tuition. So when you say they don't see you, it's because... They, it's no, because it's an exam given in the Great Hall. They have an exercise in drawing, an exercise in sculpture. You bring a bar of plasticine clay, and a third exercise in architecture. And when you complete that, you put it on a tray, and then it's put on the platform of the Great Hall. It has your name, address, and things. And later the professors come down and they assess the work and select those. And I was fortunate in being one of those accepted. And this was Cooper Union? The, the Cooper Union but, School of Art and Engineering. But and before that, you weren't accepted. Before, before that, that, to other schools that I went, they, they said it would be a waste to give a scholarship to a colored person. Now, that's New York City, 1940, when I graduated high school at 16. They told me that, and they explained that there would be no place in the field of graphic arts where I would be employed, so it would be a waste. You wouldn't, even, you wouldn't be able to get a job. So they not only denied me, they told me why. <laughs> And this is when you were 16 years old. Somebody yes, started to tell yes. you that you, you weren't going to be good yeah. enough because of the color of your skin. But I knew that I always would be drawing and painting, but I didn't know how it would go on. But it was through those high school teachers who, who called me back and said, look, help us on the yearbook and do any other classes you like. In the summer, take the exam for the Cooper Union. They do not see you there. That was it. <laughs> But it made all the difference in my going on.
you have quite an education beyond Cooper Union. You also went to Columbia. You also had a Fulbright scholarship. Yes. And you yeah. went to Europe and went to two different schools in Europe. Yes. So somehow you got through. And even in the Army, I asked for permission to attend the Glasgow School of Art when we were in Glasgow. I was in a, a, a battalion of longshoremen, stevedores. We handled all the cargo that backs up an army. And that was how, in the invasion, we were on the beach of Normandy, and there's this flotilla of cargo ships, and they had developed the amphibious duck, which was a boat in the water, a truck on land, so they could use a beach as a port, whereas the enemy had controlled Le Havre and um, Marseille. But the beach served as the port, and we served unloading the ships, cross the beach, into the amphibious duck, then the duck would go on, we'd get out and back up the invading army. And that's how they finally pushed through to Paris and took over France. And that was when the, the Nazis began to lose power. You were drafted when you were 19 to yes, serve in the yes, army for World did. War II. I was at the Cooper Union in my third year. And then when I came home, I completed the work but was so spun around by the disasters, the, the, the sufferings of war, that I said, I must find out why man chooses war as um, understanding anything. Of course, I didn't get more answers. I got more questions. But I did register in philosophy at Cooper Unions and um, studied the years. And what have you learned since then? What have you learned in the years that have come since World War II? Well, I've learned simply the importance of questioning, of always asking questions about everything. It's a, like as Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living. You're always asking questions of yourself and everything and never lose that and um, evaluating and keeping that sense of um, being open, you know. What are some of the questions that you've asked over time? Who am I? Where do I come from? What am I here for? That's endless. Who gets answers? <laughs> so you don't feel as if you've actually gotten any answers. <laughs> but it plunges this. you and you're doing the painting and that's going to explain everything about me, who I am. I'm going to get it this time. And you'll work for it. And oh, at times you'll look at it and say, what am I doing out here? There's nothing of what I'm looking at. But I couldn't do it without standing in front of the plant and trying to get something of the spirit of what I'm in experiencing. But it's always that desire which is fundamental of the experience of being. I mean, you, I mean, some people may take it for granted, but at some time I look out when someone's walking by, so that's how they do it. It's one foot and then another foot. It's like I'm just discovering something, like it's brand new. I say, never lose but I said, you know, the sad experience of a child. So never lose the child within you. And never, never let that child within you die. When I go to give a program and there's an audience of adults, I look out, I have a direct connection with them. They have all survived childhood, just as I have. So I'm going to tap back to that experience of the child in each one of them and ask them to help me through that. How do you do that? 
I say everybody has been put down for one reason or another, but we've got to sing out a love of who you are, everybody. My people, and they chant back, my people, by Langston Hughes. And I have them chanting with me as a child would. And I say the word, the night is beautiful, and they and so the faces of my people, the star, they know it all over, wherever I go. They know I'm going to chant my people to affirm a love of who you are and of your ancestry. You spent many years teaching. and Yes, I've loved teaching to all the... In fact, when I was in my early teens, the St. John's Evangelical Lutheran Church, they gave me the room and supplies to teach others because of my love of art. They say, you have a talent, you must share it with others. So right off, I knew that it was my love of art that I wanted to share with others. So that's why I knew that's what I would go on to do. But it was through the support of the church in giving me the materials and the time to work with others. So that's how I was always known as a teacher. How did that, being a teacher, and you also, you taught at, you taught at Dartmouth. Dartmouth yes. was your final teaching yes. um, experience. How did that influence your creativity and your work as an artist? Well, I get the excitement of working with others and that picks up your spirits. When you see others at work with something you love to do, it encourages you yourself. You know, it means an awful lot. Yes. Tell me about the first book that you published. Tell me what that was like. Oh, that's easy. My first book, Kindergarten. As we learned the alphabet, we created the picture for each letter, A, B, C. When we reached Z, the teacher gave us colored paper and we sewed the pages together. And she said, you have just published an alphabet book. You are the author, the illustrator, the binder. Take it home, you're the distributor as well. And when we came, she says, how was it received? Well, everyone was so excited. I published a book in the garden, I published a book. So the teacher said, well, you are getting rave reviews for those limited editions, one of a kind. I have never stopped making books from kindergarten on. For the family, my sisters, brothers, aunts, uncles, presents were always something that I created, a little book, a poem that I liked, something they liked, I would do that. So it never ended. It was just that I couldn't get into the field. Well, tell me about that. Well, that was when, although the United States means people from all over the world, the book world was focused mainly on the white Anglo-Saxon child and others were not represented. And there was that push which came out after that article, The All-White World of Children's Books, to represent the gifts of other peoples, of people who they came from, who they would like to also express. Even though they didn't hold it against anyone doing a book of people of their country, they also wanted a voice of offering things of their people. And I wanted an offer something of the black voice and to work with the black images also. You showed me the first book that you published, and it was based on poetry. Was based on? Poetry. Yes, well, uh, poetry is at the heart of everything I do. Poetry, the spirituals, but um, I've always loved poetry. In fact, when I used my, um, my Fulbright abroad, it was to Germany not just because of the church which I'd grown up, but I loved the poetry of Rainer Maria Rilke, who wrote in German. And I wanted to learn to speak some of his language through the poems. 
Weißt du, ich will mich schleichen, leise aus lautem Kreis. Do you know one day I'll slip away from this noisy circle? I love the beginning of a poem, because at college I was often at these meetings, you just sit and they go on and on. You think, oh, I'm going to get out of this one day. So there's a poem of his which began with those lines. Do you know, one day I'll slip away from this noisy circle, but the feeling of the voice, weißt du, ich will mich schleichen leise aus lautem Kreis, wenn ich erst die bleichen Sterne über den Eichen blühen weiß, when I see the star blooming above the oak tree. Wege will ich erkiesen, die selten wir betritt. I will choose paths that were very rarely trod in the pale evening meadows, but there's no dream like this. You will go with me. It's lovely. It's so lovely. But in the language, you can't translate the sound of a language. You can translate the feeling and the mood. And so I love poetry by poets of other countries whose languages I don't know because I can get the feeling, but the sounds you cannot translate. You can say, do you know one day I'll slip away? Weißt du, ich will mich schleichen leise. It's a whole other world of sound, you know, to get that into English. Very rarely has that been done. Perhaps with um, people have always loved the, the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam, it was such a popular translation, it was so well done that they felt it was very close to the sounds of the language in the, the language from which it was translated. Talk to me about music. Hmm? Music is important to you as well. Yes, yes. I've always had music that I've played. Of course, the whole classical tradition. When I arrived in with my... GI Bill to study in Europe in France, 1950. It was a year that the great cellist Pablo Casals broke his silence. After the, the war, he had said he would not perform in any of the Allied countries because he felt they had abetted Franco in overturning the People's Revolution. But in 1950, a number of great musicians persuaded him to play Honoring Bach. He said, if you come to this little dusty town in which I live, and it's a little town, it was just across the border from Barcelona, where they spoke the Catalan language that he'd grown up with, Prades, P-R-A-D-E-S. And so the first um, concert in 1950 was... Um, in Prades, and I had just arrived with my full bra with my GI Bill in Aix-en-Provence, so of course I went to it, and people who loved him had offered the money for all the tickets, so we as students never paid for anything. All the concerts were open to us, and it was such an incredible experience. You've also incorporated spirituals into mm -hmm. your work. The spirituals. Well, that's a whole other world because, you see, the blacks were not allowed to learn to read or write. But they would hear these Bible stories, and they incorporated those stories in creating these songs. Didn't my Lord deliver Daniel, and why not every man? When Israel was an Egypt land, let my people go. He's got the whole world in his hand, this little light of mine. 
And I just love the imagination and the vocabulary of black slaves creating that music. And that's why I work to honor them in those books where I took the time in cutting the blocks and the music to give the feeling of the early um, religious books, which were cut in that way. Some of these books that you've done, the block print books with the spirituals the block in them. Print ones. Yes, they're, they've been republished. They've, yes, they're, they're in print. Why did they choose to bring them back? Why did they choose because to republish Because of the demand. Them? People have been buying them. That's with the book world. It's only if they're buying your books that they come back for a second printing or a third. Generally, my books will go three or four printings, and then they're no longer printed. And they may then be um, in what you have, the reduced price area. But my books, they've gone on, and um, the most popular one has been What a Wonderful World, the Louis Armstrong song. That's over 30-some printings. It keeps going. Because many adults identify with Satchmo, and they just love his music, and so they bought it. So is there a reason why the the block prints, though, the spirituals? Is there a reason why you think people have Well, I use spirituals in one, but in one of them I use collage. And in another one, let's see, I don't know if we have them all here. And I painted also. I've done different approaches. I've done all the art approaches that I know to get them across. I have a couple of books in front of me that I found in a bookstore uh-huh. in, in Bar Harbor, actually, Sherman's. Uh-huh. And one of them is this book, Can't Scare Me. Yeah, I love doing that. That's, a, that's an old folk tale. But I gave it the twist that this boy who was not afraid of anything when the giant began to sing, then he really knew terror, what that meant. So now, but the thing is, the child is at a test. He's got himself into trouble. How will he get out of it now? He has to use his own ingenuity to get out of trouble. So he does, by playing, getting the maid to dance, and then he runs away and runs right back into his grandma's arms. <laughs> and this book is very colorful, and this one's done in a very different way than black the, Yeah, print. these are paintings using the tempera paints that are very common with the children. They often have the jaws of color, or else they pour them into the muffin tins, red, yellow, blue, white, black, and they were, that's this kind of paint that I've used for these. But you've used, you've used lots of different types of um, medium. Yes, in- and also styles of approach. The dancing granny was pen and ink drawings. Yes, and then they they vary. Some artists seem to like one type of yes. style, and some artists do more than one. You you do. Yeah, lots I drew up on the whole history of art, which I love. When I'm doing a book, I decide the direction, and then I stay with that. But there are artists who have established a certain style and approach, and they apply it to everything they do, but they make it relevant and new each time. It's just that once you see one of their books, you know they are all of them, because they'll follow that approach in their art. But they're wonderful artists. But mine, every book varies another approach. Last year, you published Freedom Over Me, I'm so glad people have responded to Freedom Over Me. Yes. 
Tell us about that book. You know, this was the one where I got these slave documents at an auction in Northeast Harbor. And I had been looking through them for over 10 years. And then finally I pulled out the one that is used in the book. And it had 11 slaves for sale with just the name and a price. And I gave them a job like a carpenter or a cook or a seamstress, whatever. And I tried to recreate their lives and also if they were free, what would their hopes be? So that's how this is made. And there's been a great response to this. And I say that's an award from um, Kent, Kent that just came. And it's for the Freedom Over Me book. It says on it, it's heavy, so. This is very heavy. So this is the 2017 Arnold Adolph Poetry Award for mm -hmm. Middle Readers, Freedom Over Me, Ashley Bryan. Yes. The struggle continues. That's what this says. This is from Kent State. Yes, Kent State. Yeah, Virginia Hamilton, a wonderful black artist, wrote there. Arnold Adolph is a poet and was a husband. And um, he sent it where he's a good friend. But um, that program awarded freedom over me. So that came in the mail. Just opened it this morning. You've also gotten uh, other important awards like the yes. Laura Ingalls Wilder and Coretta Scott King. Yes, You've yes. been in consideration for Newbery you see honors. The plate up there. That's the Lupin Award that the main authors, and they've given that Lupin Award to Freedom Over Me. That comes up later in the month. So you've gotten more than one award from from the main group that gives yes, this yes, Lupin Award. Yes, yes, yes. I'm of means a lot when the librarians respond and open up your work because they're in touch with a wide audience of young people. So it's wonderful when they recognize what you've done and want to honor it. And so they've recognized freedom over me and have given it the Lupin Award for this year. You've been connected to Maine for a while. Oh, good many years, yes. You went to the Skowhegan School. Skowhegan School of Art, yes. And that was one of your first connections? That was in 1960. Mm -hmm. So how did you find out about this part of Maine? Well, at Skowhegan, on weekends we go to often to Acadia. From Acadia, you look out over the ocean. You see all these islands. So I asked the Maine to find a place for me on one of these islands. That's how I came to Great Cranberry Island first, then moved over to this island and then built the house and settled in here. But I'd stayed at another house across the way over there for over 30 years when I'd come. And then I had this with my own when I decided I'd be leaving Dartmouth and I'd live here rather than returning to New York. This island has other artists who live here as well. <laughs> why, why does Little Cranberry Island, why is it so appealing to artists? Well, it's a small community, about 60 people year-round. Well, when you've known people like that also for generations, you feel very much at home. And there's that outreach of a small community. If anything you need, they're there. Often I'll come home, there's a plate of food on the table, no name, just sitting there. 
but it's that spirit of the small community. You, uh, um, and I've always loved the people of the island, of how open they are and how generous. Is it ever hard to be here in the middle of the winter? The weather doesn't affect me. <laughs> I know nobody comes near me in winter time, but I love it. <laughs> yes, people shy away from Maine in winter. <laughs> and my niece who was helping out, who had left, she was working along with Jasmine. She came from um, Asheville, North Carolina, when I was at the Cedars Rehab in Portland. And then she came here, and oh, what an introduction to life in Maine. <laughs> I don't think she'll do that again. But oh, she had a shovel most of the time, because the snow was so persistent. Every time you thought it had ended, come again. She was out there shoveling. How does being in Maine, how does that impact your art? Well, Maine has always been very, very much a part of art. Um, you'll have major American artists who have lived and painted in Maine, and major American writers who've used the life of Maine also in their writing. For some reason, it's appealed. Something of the environment, uh, the landscape and all has held people and helped them to focus on what their artwork was. So yes, it's for writing and art, you have a tremendous history in, of American artists. You told me that your parents were originally from Antigua. From Antigua, yes. And that up until relatively recently, you still traveled down there. You still have family down there. Yes, yes. So that's a contrast. That's a big contrast between Maine well, so, and yes. Antigua. Yeah, but still, on this side, on in Maine, it's another way of life. As you travel, you experience the different ways of life. And although I've loved Antigua, and it's like summer year-round in Antigua, you can be on the beach every day. Um, still, I would not choose to live there year-round. There's something about the seasons and all that has meant a lot to me. You mentioned that you had spent some time at Cedars, and probably that's related to being a little older now. Do you ever find yourself frustrated by being older and not doing as much as you once did? I do more and more, and I get more and more requests. I just got a folder from a woman, Sally Bloom, who was the wife of a great um, oboist, Robert Bloom, who died. And she sent me another big program. They had done a, she's a person who works on commissioning composers and writers. And she had um, a composer work on a score for my poems to um, sing to the sun. And Alvin, Alvin Singleton. And it was a, for chamber orchestra, children's choir, and narrator. And she just sent me another thing about a big program. She asked, but I don't think I'll be able to enter into it, which will mean working with composers and choral groups and everything. So you don't feel like your age is slowing you down? No, 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 it doesn't slow, but I focus on different interests always. Who, who were your role models 
in your artistic career? Who did you consider to be people that you emulated? Well, at home it was my family, my mother, my father. They were always a role model. I think that's important to find it close at home. And then the community always has meant a lot to me. The people of the community, that kind of give and take with people. And, um, you know, just an outreach that's kindly and thoughtful and helpful. That's at the heart of what you look for in a day, the kindliness of others, people being considerate and thoughtful. You used uh, scissors in your book about the blackbird, your mother's scissors. And you, yes. t- and you told me that that's part of that this idea. That was her special of, scissors, yes. Yes, it's part of this when idea of When she died, creating. the family gave me them. So I told you, now I can play with them all day long. But at one point, I wasn't allowed to touch them because they were the special scissors. And that, that book is a book that's done with collage. Yes, yes. What is it that you like about collage? Well, it's the colored papers are there. And when I was going to do Beautiful Blackbird, it said they were all colors of the rainbow. That's when I said I'd rather do colored papers rather than painting the colors. So that's how the collage, that was my first collage book with, with, um, with Caitlin Louie, the new editor. She encouraged it, and so I worked that, cutting and pasting the colored papers. So that was nice. And the color black, you wanted the color black to be so beautiful. So I used the black, yeah. You wanted that to be beautiful. That was no problem because it is a beautiful color. In fact, I've had friends who dress only in black. Women who love black come summers and they dress in black. All of their things, their um, everyday run-around clothes and things. But they love to wear, they love to dress in dark colors. You also... Have, when I've looked around your studio, uh, I see puppets that you've been working with for yes. years. Well, the world of puppet is so, it's so surprising. When a puppet is in motion, how real it becomes, how believable it becomes, you see. And that was, if ever you're in Atlanta and going to attend their puppetry museum, they have all these examples because they use all the technology to develop their stories now. So they can have so many puppets doing different things, and all of it is worked out electronically so they can carry the story. But your puppets were made from things that you found. Yes, yes. I've always enjoyed recreating what's thrown away, what is of no use. So the sea glass, that meant everything. I don't know. There in the little building, uh, my sea glass work is going to be permanently installed there. But there's still some of it that's in the room there. I don't know if you had a chance to see some. I love working with this. Yes, it's beautiful. It's really magical. And in that building, it's, it'll have about a stretch of nine panels. They used to hang in the back bedroom. But it's really amazing when they're lit. You see the color, the beer bottles, the wine bottles, soda bottles, and all what they become. <laughs> yes, yeah. you have you have beautiful stained glass in your in your back window, yes. and it really catches the light. Yes, well, that's it. And did you get one of the folders of the panels that are in the church? The church has two sets of nine panels. Let me see. 
of the sea glass. These are the panels in the church. The church owns them and they made the folder and the Bible verses from which they come. Well, these are beautiful. And, and you, started, yeah. you started working on these many years ago. From the 60s on, I've never stopped. I'm always working on sea glass. What is it about sea glass that you like so much? Well, it's like, it's like stained glass. Any of this little glass that they make, you put it up to the light and it just glows, you know. You also use a lot of... You They've done panels like this for the center. Oh, those Did are beautiful. Did you get one of these? I'll look for some others. You also use a lot of imagery that you first a lot of a lot of images that you first learned about when you were young when you went to well St. these John's. images it's like medieval art two dimensional drawing very simple very clear that's the patterns I've followed in my work very simple outlined figures. What about your use of things like? the lion, and hmm. what about your use of animals in yes. stained glass? Tell me about that. Oh, yes, yes. In fact, in the Christian tradition, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew is the man, Mark is the lion, Luke is an ox, and John is an eagle. Any church you pass, if you see an, um, a lion in front, that's a St. Mark. If you see an ox, um, it's Luke. And if it's an eagle, it's John. The church I attended, St. John's, the eagle was symbol everywhere. So it tells you that. Do you have any advice for younger artists? Because it seems as though it wasn't easy, it wasn't easy for you to start publishing in the publishing world, your books. It took some time, it took some years. Well, the arts, anything you're doing that's creative stay with it no matter what. It hasn't to do with being recognized, but don't let anybody tell you, oh, don't do that, you're no good at it, or you won't make a living doing it. Don't pay that any mind. If it's something you love to do, that's how you get to know who you are, by investigating what you love. If people put you off, it's, it doesn't work. You regret it later in life. What about your love of books? I know that you're reading a book that is called Joy. Um, yeah, well, I, I always am reading. You're always reading. This yes. one is Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama. Yeah, well, that's one aspect of it. But I also read novels, and I read plays, and I read poetry. The whole range, history, whatever. So what, what is it about the books that keeps you so interested, and the range? Well, it's just an interest in life. And everything about life comes up in books. And that almost anybody who you know who loves um, anything about learning, you visit their home, you'll see shelves of books. Wherever I go, my friends, there's shelves of books, you know, that just build up as the years go on. <laughs> you can't resist it.
What are your favorite types of books to read? I don't have a favorite in that sense. I try not to have favorites about anything. I go only by what I need at any time. At one point, I may need a Shakespearean sonnet. Another time, I want a, a St. Vincent Millay poem. It varies. So I try to steer clear of, of favorites. It varies. But, yeah, when the children ask me, which is my favorite book, because I've done about 50, I say, if I say, oh, The Dancing Grind is my favorite, but now I'm reading one of my African folk, and says, I'm not going to help you. Why don't you read your favorite? So I said, I can't let them know. Whatever I'm doing has to be the most important at that moment. <laughs> I, tell me about the Ashley Bryan Center. Yeah, that was the idea of some friends, not me. That would be the last thing in the world for me to do. But I was very touched that they wanted what I've been doing to go further. And so they said they would create the center. They simply asked if it was all right. And I said, you go ahead. But they've done everything about it. But it's all their work, you see. So what, what would you like to see happen with your work? What, what, what would I you never like gave it a thought. I just want to do it while I'm alive. Whatever afterwards, I'm very glad that they feel that it could still inspire others. That's very touching that they feel that way about it. That's been very nice. So you want to do what you can do while you're here. Uh, yes. So what are you working on now? Oh, yes. I'm working on poems by um, Christina Rossetti from her sing-song poems. I've always loved her poem, but she's not available regularly. The poem that I always remember as a child of hers was, Who has seen the wind? Neither you nor I. But when the leaves hang trembling, the wind is passing by. Who has seen the wind? Neither I nor you. But when the trees hang down their heads, the wind is passing through. I'd always remember those. So I went to a sing-song book of poems and illustrated a whole group of them. So that will be a project that may come out next year. And what are you using this time? Are you using collage? I'm or using, are you using the, paint? the tempera paints, the colors, and pencil and a pen drawing. So what was it about that poem that caused you to use tempera paints? Well, it was a pen? poem that reminded me that Christina Rossetti is not well known, although Robert Louis Stevenson's Charles Gardner Versus is popular and others, but somehow she's escaped us. She's a tremendous poet. And her work for children, sing song, just wonderful poems. So was there something about the tempera that seemed to go with that poem? Yes, yes, because I wanted to do the direct color, and I could do it with that. You were just in Atlanta for six days because you had some problems getting back <laughs> on your flight. What were you doing down there? In Atlanta, well, the, the High Museum is an incredible museum, but they have this fantastic exhibit of my art, of all of my work in major exhibits in their galleries and programs related to my art. And so um, they also had the 
preview of the Dancing Granny play and of the teenagers reading um, The Freedom Over Me. Extraordinary performances in both cases. I hope to return in June to see the full production of The Dancing Granny because they did 10 minutes program. It was wonderful. And so do you feel like it caught the spirit of your work? They not only caught the spirit, but they developed their own spirit in relation to it, which made it so exciting because they could become themselves through what was offered of what I had given them. They could take off from that and find more of their own, their own selves in doing it. That was wonderful to watch. Yes, very professional. Are there anything, things in your life that have caused you to be very angry or very sad or very conflicted that you've had to overcome? Well, I think the essential thing that we're sad about in the world is the sufferings of people. The suffering that comes about through generally war or just the, um, the, the being cruel to another for no other reason than it's a woman or a color or a, a religion or whatever using some excuse to take it out on another. That pervades the world. But we know that in essence, it's the thoughtfulness and the kindliness that we feel is the meaning of being here. No one wants to be unhappy and beat up on. Everyone wants to feel good about things and also to be healthy because the basic things in the Book of Joy was all human beings would like to be free of suffering, to have good health, to um, find joy and um, happiness. Well, you can't contend that. It doesn't matter what religion or color or sex you are. It's basic. It's a human thrust to just find something to have a feeling of joy about being in the day. That's not always easy. No, it's not, but it means an awful lot when you make an effort to create that. The simple thing, they say the smile. You pass someone, you, you smile, and they smile. That's, that's something. It's a gift, you know. It's really, it's not a big deal. It's a simple thing, like, like have, have another cookie, you know. <laughs> Well, I, I was saying as we got here to start interviewing you, this is the first radio show we've done where you've had cookies and you've had cake oh, and you've brought see, coffee and your radio and audience could be jealous. They, I, <laughs> I think my radio audience is a little jealous for lots of reasons. How often right are you with them? With my radio audience? Yes. We're together once a week. Once a week. Yes. Good. Wow. And so you did it with them with, with me? Yes, this is wow. a great opportunity for everybody. I hope they were enjoying it. Well, I think that they have been. Good. Is there anything else that you could tell me over the, the years of your life that you've learned? Anything that you feel would be useful to me as a person? Some special thing. Well, it doesn't have to be special. Anything at all, really. Well, I think we were involved in everything that's special. Because I've always said when someone asks me um, what is the most important thing for you, I've always said it's this moment being with you because that is what my day will be. You know? And if I'm with you thinking, oh, I'd rather be 
over there or in another place, then I'm not getting the most out of that moment. And I want to get the most, so you become the most important thing that's happening by being here. And I like to give that feeling, I'll do anything to affirm how important it is to me that I can give you the best of myself while we're engaged, you know. It means an awful lot <laughs> to me. It means a lot to me, too. Yes. Well, I've enjoyed our conversation. And Good. and now you have a folder to remember me by. I have a folder. I have. Do you have one? Yes. Yes. Hold on. All of us that traveled over here to be with you, we have... Ashley Bryan sea glass panels, which people can go to the Islesford Congregational Church. Is that where we would see these? Yeah, they're right in the Islesford Church here. And from what I understand... You can always go in and just touch the switch, and they'll light up. So we'll do that before we before we leave the island. Yes. For people who can't do that, if you happen to be in Atlanta, you could see <laughs> some of your work. Here in Atlanta, they have an extensive gallery exhibits of my books, my book art. You can also go to the upcoming L.A. Arts puppetry exhibit and show that, that will be coming up in a few weeks here in April yes. in Lewiston-Auburn. Yes. And the Ashley Bryan Center. Who knows where that's going to go, but <laughs> there's another place people could find yeah. out more about you. And I've, I've been thrilled to know that you can really find your books in mm -hmm. local bookstores all over the place. Yes. The interesting thing in this book, people ask me, who I identify with most. Could you guess? It was the little boy, John, who was given as a birthday present because he's the one who wants to become an artist and paint from them, you know. And I love him. I love, he says, I wonder how art came to me a slave. You know, I love that. So I have him. But the reason that you see, he was given as a birthday present to the Fairchild. And he says, I've learned about Africa from the slaves with whom I live. So that tells you something, that they've come back. Although they're slaves, they've come from a background. And that's why it was important with me when telling their stories, I wove into it what their experiences were. For instance, the woman who is the seamstress Charlotte she says in her background I wanted I wanted to give them a background that um, my fingers were never still that things that they are doing had been a part of them their training also like the seamstress and Stefan, he adopts like the little boy. He and his, his, he looks after John and John works with him. And Jane, the seamstress. And in her background, she says, I was apprentice as a child to my family's textile industry. You know, I mean, she's a slave, but she has a background. I, I work beside my parents. My eyes dance to the making of cloths. 
I thought the spinning, the weaving, the dyeing of fabrics was a miracle of threads, threads becoming cloths, cloths becoming clothes to wear. So I give them a background, you know, which meant everything to me. So you didn't want these people to be forgotten. Yes, and it would be as if you're walking the street, you see a young man digging, and the, the, the thing you walk by, you don't know. He may be a young man digging to can earn to go to college. He may be a young man who's married and has a child. He's digging to feed his family. But you just see him as someone digging beside the road. You know nothing of their background. And that's the way the slave is just taken as a slave, meaning everything else, nothing else that they can be used and exploited. And it was important to me give them a background of some kind. And then, of course, the important thing was their dream. What is a dream? And John says, no matter what work I do on the estate, even learning carpentry from Stephen, I think of drawing. I plan one day to draw freely from free Negro people. I will create loving portraits of their strength and beauty. So that's how I have the young boy dreaming. So each one has also the dream. Ashley, it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate mm -hmm. your taking the time to talk with oh, me Oh, I'm today. glad you could have time to exchange. <laughs> well, I've learned a lot. Thank you so much. Good. Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by The Front Room, The Corner Room, The Grill Room, and Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room. Chef Harding Lee Smith's restaurants where atmosphere, great service, and palate-pleasing options are available to suit any culinary mood. For more information, go to theroomsportland.com. Portland Art Gallery is proud to sponsor Love, Maine Radio. Portland Art Gallery is Portland's largest gallery and is located in the heart of the Old Port at 154 Middle Street. The gallery focuses on exhibiting work of contemporary Maine artists and hosts a series of monthly solo shows in its newly expanded space. The current show schedule includes Nancy Simmons, Elizabeth Hoy, and many more. For complete show details, please visit our website, artcollectormaine.com. You have been listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 292, The Art of Ashley Bryan. Learn more about the artist at Ashley Bryan Days, taking place this month in Lewiston-Auburn. The Emerge Film Festival on April 29th will include a reading of Freedom Over Me and a screening of the documentary film, I Know a Man, Ashley Bryan. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit lovemainradio.com. Love Main Radio is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Love Main Radio Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter as Dr. Lisa and see our Love Main Radio photos on Instagram. We love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of Love Main Radio. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring Love Main Radio to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. I hope that you have enjoyed The Art of Ashley Bryan. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. Love Main Radio is made possible with the support of Berlin City Honda, The Rooms by Harding Lee Smith, Maine Magazine, Portland Art Gallery, and Art Collector Maine. Audio production and original music have been provided by Spencer Albee. Our editorial producer is Paul Koenig. Our assistant producer is Shelby Wasik. 
Our community development manager is Casey Lovejoy, and our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Rebecca Falzano, and Lisa Belisle. For more information on our host's production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, please visit us at lovemainradio.com.